Good morning. My name is Janisha Brown. This morning's reading is from 1 Peter, second chapter, verses 9 through 17. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the Gentile, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Okay. Hi. I've already got word that the happiest people in the church that I'm back, that are so happy that I'm back, are the children's church and the youth group, because they say they don't have enough time. <laughs> now that Pastor Brown is back, they'll have more than enough time they, to get through everything. Let me just say, after being away for six months on a much-needed and fruitful sabbatical that I feel honored to come back um, into this role as your pastor and today to share in God's word with you. I mean, I had full confidence to pull away. Someone asked, were you always worried or wondering about the church? And the answer was no. I really didn't think about Christ Central Church in that manner, like what's going on, what's happening, because I had full confidence in Pastor Josh and Pastor Derek and LeVan McLean and Eric and Aaron McFadden, newly come Corey Gadsden, the elders, the deacons, the women shepherds, a number of you who lead ministries like the AV team back there, Doug and Jason keeping it going on TV, you community leaders, both official and unofficial, right? I had full confidence that this was Jesus's church and not mine. That he has given this body many leaders, many members to breathe and pump the life of God throughout it and even out into our world. I am truly impressed by what God has done while Kelly and I have been gone. Once again, I cannot express enough thanks to our spiritual formation director, Dr. Reverend Barbara Peacock over here. Thank you. And uh, her husband, Gilbert, is over there as well, and her ministry team at Dr. Peacock Ministries, um, and I think she even brought her class. If they were obedient, as you said, they, your class would be here, people from your class. She teaches over at Gordon-Conwell, is that right? Okay. Chan University. Chan University. Okay, I know you're doing something with the D-Men program over at Gordon-Conwell eventually. You might end up being Josh's professor, potentially, right? Anyway, um, and I thank Pastor Jay and his wife, Yvonne Anderson, who've been working with us in our marriage to help reform and restore it. And I will have much more to share with you through our next sermon series, focus on the broken prayer journey that God took us through during our time away. 
But I got a call from Derek this week, Pastor Derek, and he was like, I need your scripture. And I'm like, yeah, here's my scripture. Here's my title. He's like, no, you're not preaching on prayer. You have to finish up the sermon series. I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> so was, I've been working on that prayer thing. And um, I didn't realize, or Josh told me apparently I wasn't paying attention. I'm still getting in the move of things. But today I get the opportunity to finish this sermon series. This is Christ Central Church. And our final mission piece, engaging the world through a renewed dignity that comes from Christ. And so we've spent most of the first parts of this sermon series focused on much of the internal dynamics of our mission. Today we flip that inside out. To take who and how God has made us, to take our insides, right? To take them inside out to and for this world. And so from our scripture passage today, there are three points I want us to take in and take on. And yes, this passage is filled with all kinds of things. And I'm like, I could do a sermon series on this one point, right? But here are three points we're going to look at today. First, we are called to engage the world as the most privileged people on earth. Secondly, we must engage the world as the most woke people on earth. And finally, we must engage the world as the most free. And I know most free grammatically, okay, but most free people on earth. Privileged, woke, and free. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now our verse starts with but, so quick explanation of the antecedent thought. The Bible is saying, right, Jesus was rejected, mistreated, cast out. He, he caused people, he gave people a hard time and understanding of God and people naturally rejected and were confused by his ministries. But believers weren't. Why? Because they were chosen by God, right? To be the most privileged people on earth. And what does that mean? Because privilege is a bad word, right? And man, especially for white people lately. They have been saddled, suspected, and laden with this descriptive, right? And most hate and bucket. Don't call me privilege. I grew up poor. You've heard it all. My, I had to work for it. All that stuff. You know, they bucket. I get it as an invalidation of their individual sense of worth and value. But in this case. This is that Holy Spirit privilege, right? Not built on the foundation of an oppressive system of wealth and power building, but on the oppression, back, death, and work of Jesus Christ, right? Which means believers have that royal family DNA, which means Christians, if the Bible is true, and it is, are special. That's why the word race is used here. You are a, if you're a believer, you are a new breed of person, a new people group. He says at one time you weren't a people. Now Jews and Gentiles and all coming together in Christ, you are a people, the people of God. When those of you who are believers became believers, it was more than signing up for a club or joining a frat or going through a gang initiation. No, God initiated a total heart transformation and put a new DNA in you, a new spirit in you. Believers are a variant, right? Right. You're, you're, you're a super, as in supernatural. Your goals, your mission, your abilities became all about what God now could do through you. But the DNA change that makes believers part of the royal family of God means that you got the family inheritance. 
Look at verse 9 again. It says here um, that you, he, he calls you to be his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Believers are royal family members, which means they as a people group, not simply individuals, don't try to individual stuff. I know we live in America and we're all individualistic, but it don't work like that, right? It means that as a people group, a community, right, as a race, that we, they have access and walk in the presence and present power of God. God's power and privilege and wealth is theirs to call on and hide in and run to and call up and most importantly to share with this world. Metaphorically, believers are, y'all grew up with that one kid with the rich or generous parents, some of y'all, well, rich is, you know, uh, relative, who had access to the big family car, sometimes a hoopty, and y'all, y'all could fit in. Remember that kid? Whose parents were cool and always said yes with that extra expendable income puzzle, with the big basement at the house, with the PlayStation 5 and the big TV, with the good toys that were organized and new and not all broken up with Legos, all of them, right? The moped, the go-kart, the BB gun, the motorcycle everybody gets a chance on, with the most followers to link you up to grow your followers, right? With the fashion sense and swag, the one with the studio to create the beats, what am I saying? Believers are the kids out here with life, eternal security, hope, soul level help, power, love, mercy. Right? God has bequeathed you a line of expendable credit at Jesus' expense to spend in and for this world and its people. And with that God-given privilege, believers got to be the most woke people on earth, right? And yes, I use another extremely controversial term, but it fits. Even though in our present day conversations going on, you'll be hard-pressed to see privilege and woke coming together that often, right? But in the outwardly faced life believers are called to, it fits. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 10. We've read verse 9. Once you were not a people, but now you are the pe- God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I need to go back to verse 9 at the end here. It says, we're called to proclaim the excellencies of him who what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I, believers are the most woke people on earth because of how and why God woke us up, right? From spiritual death and judgment, all because God was woke, right? He was woke to our suffering and was liberal enough with his grace and love and chose to do it. Aren't you glad we don't serve a conservative God when it comes to salvation, but a liberal one, right? I want that handout. I don't know about you. Like, I don't want to go to work. My work didn't work. Jesus worked and I got it for free, right? I I want the heavenly stimulus package. That's fine with me. You know, that's right. Salvation is pure divine government help. Did y'all know that? That God is the chief governor and he gives out free stuff to people who don't deserve it, right? I mean, but more than a handout, he gave us a hand up, empowerment by adopting us. You see, God, the Bible says, woke us up from darkness, 
our hopelessness, our oppression, our spiritual bankruptcy, our wicked ways, our hoodwinkness, if you will, our deception, our blindness, our apathy, our spiritual insensitivity, our ignorance, our self-righteousness. Our dangerous, insecure relationships, we have it all over the place, and living, and he woke us. The Bible says he made us alive to him, alive to the truth, to the gospel, and his mission to the world. Right? So anyone who would be a believer or consider themselves a church or the people of God must have had an authentic experience. And experiences along the way of being awoke by God, by awoke God. And only then will we be woke to what God wants you and me to do for others in this world. Now, there's lots of Old Testament cultic allusions here, okay? But the priest in the Old Testament, just so you guys, some of y'all been to Sunday school, you kind of get it. Some of us don't. Right? Uh, the priests in the Old Testament would go into the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence was. In the temple, it was like this was the outside where most of the people stayed. Then it was another court for some more people. But the most exclusive court was the Holy of Holies. And only the priest went in there, the high priest. And he would go into the Holy of Holies to face God as a representative, representative of himself, but not just himself, of the people. So he carried into that place not only his sins, right, and, and, and go before God, but all the social issues and mistakes and offerings, and then come out to face people, hopefully with forgiveness, with forbearance, with mercy, with confirmation that guess what? God still loves you because he accepted the sacrifice. He would be the face of the people before God. And then the face of God to the people. So priests like believers today are double-faced, not two-faced. That's something different. Right? It's not like you are one person when you are with the Lord and someone else later, hopefully. Like a performance. It is more incredible than that. Now we, now guess what? We, the Bible tells us, we are the temple. Right? And our personal and community lives are the temple. Our collective, that's why it's not an alone thing, join lives and souls as living stones, as, as the scripture says earlier in this chapter, are joined as a place where God makes his glory, will, and desire, and power known. It is where it happens, which means you are not just in the room where it happened. You Hamilton fan. The church, the people of God, are the room in which it happens. You are the space where the glory of, and mercy of God happens. That's why I like the imagery of being flipped inside out. As a royal priesthood, God actually takes what is happening in us, and instead of us being a temple art or an auditorium, the vision I have in my mind is that now God takes us, and he takes the building, and he opens it up, and we become an amphitheater. Right? So, so what God has done in us now becomes a place where we're joined in. Like, you've seen some good amphitheaters. You, you can't, sometimes they're, they're built into the grass and they're built into the trees or made out of something natural. God is calling us to flip that temple, who we are as a people, who we are individually, and open up and then join into the landscape of people's lives.
God turns us out, inside out to the world and our lives, our community of faith, Christ Central Church. We become, we're not no longer just the stones that build a holy exclusive temple. But hear this now. But we become the bricks and stones that can be used to build and reform this world, its systems, and its institutions. And you know what that leads to? Not just individual change, but much-needed systematic and institutional change. A very woke concept, but gospel style, right? To shock the system with our powerful integration into it. Right? To expose the world to God's glory while we face and join with its brokenness. Systematic institutional racism and sexism and ageism and, 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 and economic and political terrorism are, are being challenged by our living stone presence. Our woke presence in it and joined as a part of it in some way. And as a royal priesthood, we are woke in finding our place among and for the broken and oppressed and oppressors and oppressive. And, and we are sort of, you know, we, we are sharing in the suffering and being even offensive to the irresponsible privilege and advantage. We're sort of squeezing and fitting in between people, systems, and institutions, mediating between our God, his grace and love. And then, and some of y'all, maybe you don't feel like a brick. Maybe you're just like an air-conditioned duck, right? Just a vent, bringing some fresh life into institutions and systems. But nevertheless, doing the work of priest, actively woke, not because it is a script, right, or just some uh, recently relevant term, but because it is the very story of our lives and our God. You know, there's a book out by Dr. Mason called The Woke Church. Eric Mason, thank you. Woke, church, synonymous. There's no difference. When you say church, you should automatically assume these are the most woke means aware of the brokenness of the world, integrating and being a part and leading in, 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 the, in the necessary protest and, 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 and helping folk out there. It, it should be who we are. It should be an automatic description. And I don't know how we got separated from being the most radical group. You know, so many of, of, of my colleagues are afraid of groups like Black Lives Matter and all these kind of things and CRT and all this mess. We should be so much more radical than Black Lives Matter. If God created black people, shouldn't the church be the most radical group out there? Like, the gospel is way more radical than any message out there. Right? The world should be afraid of our radicalness. Right? They should be concerned. Here come church folk. They're not going to let that pass. Right? Oh, no, here come the Christians. They're not going to let us keep oppressing people. Right? Here come the Christians. They're not going to let us give that interest rate to those folk. Damn it. Here come the Christians. They're going to hurt my real estate values. Right? Here come the Christians. They're going to do the right thing at the borders. 
Right? Here they come. Wow. Here come the Christians. Oh, no. The undocumented folk got a community to hide in. Right? Wow. The Christians? All right, that wasn't in the sermon. Sorry, y'all. Sorry, y'all. But for whatever it is, right? Life in the womb and after the womb. Here come the Christians. But let's say this. Then believers, I'm going to say this. Be very careful here. Are the most important people to and for the world. Let that sink in for a minute. For your communities, your family members, for your neighborhood, for your country, for your company, for your job, for the natural earth, for your team, for your online community, for your social media community, for natural pres- per- per- preservation, for art and beauty and food and music and fashion and innovation and business and government entertainment, you are the most important race of people. Not person. Now, careful. The Bible's not teaching that believers are powerful because they are the superior race, but because they are the most impacted and broken by what Jesus did, race of people on earth. You're important, right? You're the royal priesthood on earth. I want you to wake up to that. And if you believe, as we did when we put this mission statement together, that we are the most precious possession of God on earth as his people, the most important people for the world, let me emphasize most important for the world, not in the world, because that kind of gets cloudy, then it means we must engage the world as the most free people on earth. Right? Free to be a slave. I use that term on purpose. And free to free others. Now look with me at verses 11 through 17. We got a little longer read here. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I'm going to... Now, this is not me explaining Christians' participation in politics or or social systems, like the whole government thing, right? That's a different sermon. But I'm going to summarize these scriptures by saying the Lord doesn't want the most important people on earth caught up in things that would hurt, hinder, or devalue, or cut them off from either side of this equation, right? Between them and God, and then their ability to access and speak and see the world, right? Their lives need to be open lives, free to be used by God and dispensable for what they have to share with the world from him. Now, there were lots of lies and rumors being spread about Christians back then, right? Christians back then 
if it was a news channel or social media, they would have a bad reputation, right? The worst people groups came together. The Jews and the irreligious Gentiles finding Jesus and coming together, right? So the most self-righteous, right? The most self-righteous, I want to be, I want everybody to live by these rules and regulations coming together with the most crazy people in the world coming to Jesus and joining up. That's the church, right? So there were no, there was no cultural Christianity. This wasn't Charlotte. There was no Judeo-Christian values. No, Judeo-Christian values was bad for society. The types of folks who were believers, especially from the Gentiles, they was, wow, y'all, rowdy, ignorant acting. And some Jews tried to make this about having enough firepower to overthrow and manipulate the government and communities into being morally conservative Jewish style. And First Peter is saying, act right. Don't get caught acting like fools or being lawless for the sake of being lawless and create unnecessary obstacles to your inclusion in the world, right? Because you are very important to God's glory and truth having a good effect. And you Jews, quit trying to make the Gentiles into moral conservatives and have all this infighting and just hold things up. Look at verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor. So I started looking at this word honor. You know what it means? Prizing people. It means valuing them. It means putting a higher value on them that they could ever find for themselves. Because you are, you know, you're a royal priesthood. You come to bring a message of grace. But what you're called to do is go to people and say, do you know your value and your worth? I'm going to prize you and treat you like God would. How God has created you. Right? Now look back at verse 12. Uh, again, it says, uh, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So, they when, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right? Living honorable is not about some piety show. Right? Look at how holy and good and right we are kind of living. Right? Right living is biblical living. Right? But, but actively being engaged in behavior in ways that honor God as it honors them. So you can't have a pious Christian life where you're the only good one in the relationship, where you only value your way of life, right? You value what God has called you to do as a believer, but part of that priesthood is being able to also value others who are not in the fold. Whatever you do, they're not coming, the scripture is saying, or rejecting God or the grace of God through you should not be about you and me using our personal feelings. They're walking in an ignorance that insults them. Let's take a little breath, right? The idea of living honorable and honoring all people 
means being subject and a fan of them as much as you can be. You know what it means? I heard the, uh, the reeds up here going to Brazil. You know what I heard first? That the reeds, y'all ain't just going into Brazil just rolling in, right? What y'all going to be doing for a year? Cultural training, right? So you're going to go and learn the language, the culture. You're going to learn what offends people. You're going to learn about the government. You're going to learn the history. You're going to learn what not to say and what not to do, right? That's living honorable. We, we want missionaries to do it, but we need to do it. Do you know the language and history and hardships and struggles of the people in this country? Right? How can you honor and you don't know what people value or don't value, good or bad? When I heard that, I'm like, we need a year of some cultural training. I know I do. I'm Howard Brown, Charleston, South Carolina. Yes, we're the cultural mecca of the South, but that ain't all the culture. I go to St. Louis, I, I'm out with Kelly, her family, I, I'm out of water. I be driving around going places, Kelly's like, you can't go to this side of town, man. Why? It's a great restaurant, because they'll kill us, right? <laughs> like, you, 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 I, I should listen, you don't know everything. But it means learning them, listening to them, reading the books, listening to their poets, right? Who, who's speaking, sitting under them, being led by them into their world, knowing their language and history and struggles as a means of serving them without taking on their tactics and motivation of power, fear, or personal pleasure. And by bringing the emperor in the discussion, you know what he's saying? He's not saying we need to be Christian nationalist. He is saying that believers are so free that they can even serve the most tyrannical, evil, spiritually broken regime in serving the emperor without losing their identity. Now, how does this happen? How do you join in? How do you, through employment, membership, citizenship, community, with the world, how do you do that without getting sucked in? Verse 13 tells us, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Being subject is not the same thing as being controlled by them. It means being free to be their servant. By being their slave, if you will, that's the term of scripture uses, for their good and God's glory in their world. Slaves, subjects were a different class back then. But funny enough, they were always in the highest places. Not because they were jockeying for position or trying to get the same pleasures or shared goals, but because they were there to offer the best care and dignity and ears and voice and eyes and work and craft possible. You know how slave rebellions happen? When people looked around, all of a sudden slaves were everywhere. Right? In the highest places, hearing all the plans, seeing what's going on. They knew the house. They knew everything. They knew things better than the people who were enslaving them. Yeah. 
Before I give this illustration, let me just drop a name for you that came to my attention, and not for this reason, but Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes. She has a website called drshaniqua.com, and I appreciate her insight on the issues behind the strong black woman image. Okay, let me say that. So if you want to know, as I hear this illustration, because let me tell you, um, women that serve, black women especially, served in certain roles. Um, my grandmother was one of them. <laughs> um, we look at that and say, wow, isn't that so endearing? A strong black woman, she was oppressed, and she still cooked us great meals and all, right? And yet you're seeing a picture of extreme trauma and tragedy. So I want to be careful. I want to give you that just to weigh it down a little bit. But in The Help, the book and movie, they were trusted to take care of the kids and affected a generation. Do you remember what the character Abilene said? You is kind. You is smart. You is important. But not just the kids, but the cooking. And, and we all know what, what ended up happening in the movie with that. But... These women, like my own grandmother, were under unjust pain and oppression as black women, but they had a freedom God gave to influence. They lived under the most evil, evil regimes as servants. The stories I heard from my grandma were, were awful. And they praise her. Oh, Miss Sarah, you cook so good. Oh, Miss Sarah, thank you for taking care of our kids. But she honored what would have been considered the emperor in her day. Evil, thinking they were gods. But you are not free in your Christian privilege and wokeness if you're trying to be or play the game to win for yourself or for your glory. But you are called to make systematic change by having the heart of the water boy, even if you are the star player or coach. And the best way to be free to serve and free, free others is to be acquainted, to know what offends, to submit to the dialogue of the age. You know, I have a friend, um, and he and I are very close, but we disagree a lot. I guess he considers me more on the left and he's more on the right. Okay? I love our conversations. And I love him too. Right? <laughs> Kelly doesn't. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> and so uh, his son has a friend. And uh, she wants to be referred to as them. He says, I'm not doing it. She can't come to our house. If she comes to her house, she has to be she and not them. I disagree. I believe we're free to say them if it means being a witness to them. Honor even the emperor. And I asked him, how could you honor some of the most evil leaders? Because they are on the right side of your politics. And you honor them, but you can't honor them for the sake of the gospel. I know it's an edgy comment. I know it's an edgy thought. 
but freedom to honor even things sometimes that, you know, way down in the predicate we don't agree with. But we're subject to them. You're subject to them. What do you call your evil boss at work? You don't go in and say, you evil, so I ain't calling you boss. You evil, so I'm not showing up on time. No, you do it. Yes, sir. Right? We have this way, I'm skipping down a little bit, but we have this way of describing our outreach back in the day. And I can't use the term without, because of what's going on right now, we used to call ourselves the virus. They can't do that right now with all these masks. So Kelly was like, say viral, okay? But even anything with the V, like, yeah, even virus core is bad right now. But we said, hey, and man, it was so innovative. We the virus. Woo! Can't be innovative like that now. Come to Christ Central Church. We got the virus. Nope. <laughs> but we believe we were called the virus because we felt we could go anywhere into any system with any pores, with any open cavities of any sort, where we would get in and shock the system and create systematic change by going into the system. You know what this whole thing looks like to me and what I believe the Bible is telling us? That this is a holy strategy and tactic of infiltrating world with the grace of God, that we shouldn't get caught up or trapped, but find our way in spaces and places in the world. Now, you know what people used to ask me, where are Christ Central Church people? Because we used to make this joke, we are not the church that shows up in a matching colored shirts, bright colors, whatever they may be, and khaki pants, going to do something together. There's Christ at your church. I see the shirts. We don't do that. We're like, I don't want that, right? When we put this vision together, we said, no, we want to be the kind of people that are everywhere. If there's an institution, you look in it, we there. If there's an institution, y'all are there. Right? And you're doing your calling by being there. And I, had, I was having lunch with somebody. I was telling them, we go everywhere. And you know what he said to me? What about the strip club? <laughs> he was laughing. I wasn't because we were there too. This is going to sound edgy when I say it at first. Some of our women were in there. Let me shape it up real quick. For the tape, stop. For the tape, stop. For the tape, stop right there. Here's what happened. We had a woman in our church, Jen, who had a ministry where, you know, a large percentage of the strip clubs in Charlotte are owned by one person, and she got in good with the wife of the man who owned them. And she says, all we want to do is go in and bring food and baskets, goodies, or whatever, to the women who are working in there. They were in strip clubs. Going in with a basket, sharing. And guys went too, not inside. Guys went too. And they would stay in the par- parking lot because oftentimes the husbands of some of the women who were working in there would wait in the parking lot. And if they saw anybody interfering, it, it could be dangerous for the women. So men would stand there and it was a whole team there. Did I ever tell you the story how I ended up at a Wiccan prayer meeting? This was in the early days of Noda. 
And this is what it means, right? When we were in Noda at the neighborhood theater, you see that over there? We were the neighborhood pastors. And they were like, Pastor Brown, we want you to come because we're having a prayer meeting. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. I show up, and they're like, yay. They were so happy. Pastor Brown is here. You've been in this community. We love y'all. We respect the church. And I got in there, and they're like, who's going to go first? And one lady was like, I'm going first. Let's form this pyramid, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, Lord, this is the wicked thing. I think the Bible is saying honorable behavior means I didn't participate in a Wiccan prayer. Right? I said, hey, look, I'm glad we, you know, we care about the community and want to seek a higher power, whatever. Um, but I can't participate in this prayer. But can I pray first for us? They were like, yeah. And I prayed first. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I got to go. I remember one of the local, I, I'm ending the sermon with some, some examples, just so y'all know. So this is storytelling time from Uncle Howard. So <laughs> I remember when we were in Noda, and Noda was a time where we were more centralized, so the pastoral staff did a lot of things that I expect you guys to do. But um, I remember uh, one of the local Noda uh, people, Brian Kwan, he even worked at Noda School of Art for a while. He had one, a one-man plane, and it crashed, and he died. And it was like, Pastor Brown, we want you and Pastor Georgia to do the funeral. So we went over, you know, to the art gallery, and they had people all around. And we did our funeral, and we did the funeral, and we did our thing, right? We didn't do, we did our thing. And then right after the funeral, they started this bonfire, and it got wild out there. I mean, we had to go, okay? (laughs) And, um, but here's the story. The next morning, Members of Christ Central Church, four or five of them showed up smelling like smoke, like the bonfire smoke. They hadn't gone to sleep. And we're like, what did y'all do? They were like, we stayed because them folk were so inebriated. They would have burned down Noda. We stayed for their safety. I remember when we first started this ministry. There was some movements with churches like ours. One of them was, let's all move in the same neighborhood, you know? And there were movements of, oh, let's go do soup kitchens or let's go build a habitat home. And all those things are great. But I said this. I said, look, don't come down here and build a habitat home and turn a blind eye to what's going on at the bank you work at. Right? I said, no, Pastor Brown, should we move to the hood? No. Stay in your gated community wherever you are. Stay where you are and make influence. Right? You should honor Bank of America. You should honor Truist. You should honor Atrium by leading him to the honor that God has even for them. You know, uh, I realize even more now, and I said, I think we said this before, this Sunday morning, the pulpit and all of that is not the most powerful 
influence in place. This is. You can go royal priesthood in your profession. You think you got that profession because of you? No, God gave you that profession for him. You know, I had one pastor say, and it's kind of harsh, there's everybody's called. There's only the obedient and disobedient, right? That's kind of a harsh thing. I wouldn't say it like that. You're called. In some ways, you're ordained. You're commissioned. You saw, you saw the reeds get commissioned? I commission you, right? The Lord has commissioned you. But if you're going around saying, hey, you got to hear Pastor Brown? Mm-mm. I don't want folk coming to hear me. I want you to go and engage this world. The scripture is saying that with renewed dignity that comes from Christ. We got some things happening. You saw the heart math tutoring, the Charlotte Justice Conference. These are things people started, the Noto School of Arts that we had going on. Do you know that Christ Central Church, the film festival that we helped start, won best film festival in Charlotte? <laughs> and I remember reviewing films with Jeff Jackson. Jeff Jackson was a past, was a sorry, a member back then, and he was like, Pastor Brown, can we show these films and Christ Central Church put their name on it? Well, we can't show certain nudity kind of stuff, but he was real artsy, Mr. New York film guy, and um, I was watching some stuff, and I'm like, oh, (laughs) we can't show that. (laughs) He was like, but that's part of the art. I'm like, yeah, we can't show that, (laughs) right? In Cinematic Christmas, y'all, the Lord has given you so much creativity, innovation, and ability. You are his missionaries, right? Your royal priesthood. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've called all of us to be freed, as the mission statement says. Freed to engage the world with renewed dignity that comes from Christ. Lord, we thank you, and we, like the scripture says, please help us not use our freedom to self-serve, our freedom to just participate in sin, but help us use our freedom, Lord, to serve this world with powerful love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.